Who likes dealing with irrational people? Oh, Conrad. <laughs> For those that don't know, Conrad uh, kind of heads up uh, addiction recovery, uh, not just in our church, but uh, across the nation and into other nations. And so, yeah, you've, you totally like dealing with irrational people. I like dealing with irrational people when their irrational generosity is targeted at me. We live in a world of complete madness. We live in a world where we're talking to a bunch of irrational people that make no sense at all. And yet there are these little breakout moments where the irrationality of heaven are able to engage with us and completely transform our lives. And so I, I want to start what I'm going to talk about today just around feeling like heaven, feels like heaven, uh, just with a little story of what's happened in the last couple of weeks. And so uh, one of our values is that we believe in irrational generosity. Uh, we believe that nothing displays, uh, when it comes to our finances, uh, nothing displays the, the, the mind of God and the activity of God and, uh, and, and trying to capture that essence uh, better than irrational generosity. I think things that are rational doesn't explain a father giving up his son for us to find salvation. That is not rational. And so there is something irrational about the father's love towards us. When we can, uh, time and time again, turn against Him, rebel against Him, uh, choose against Him, and yet time and time again, He keeps irrationally, from our perspective, choosing for us. And so, we have this story that God is busy working out about what Anthem is going to be in her future as we're going on this uh, reconcile, reconciling journey, uh, just something of what we believe God's put in us for those that are maybe newer to the church, that... Uh, that the kingdom of God has expressions, and all across the earth, God is establishing His kingdom and advancing His kingdom, uh, but different communities face different setbacks and different challenges. And so for us, we feel like God's called us to display the gospel in reconciliation in our land in this time, so in the city of Durban in this time, which is part of the reason that we feel like God's called us to, to be in a different physical venue to better facilitate what reconciliation looks like. And so there is a move towards Cornubia. Again, Cornubia is not the goal. A, the gospel landing through Anthem in this city in this season is the goal. And uh, there is a church that's in Pretoria, that was planted less than six months ago, that is trusting for their own facility. They still meet in a school hall, and they have to set up every Sunday. Guys get there excruciatingly early to set up, and they have to pack it down so that school can be ready the next day. And they are trusting for their own building, and yet they have made a commitment for the next six months to put finances into our hands for the kingdom to be established here in Durban. We're not affecting their city. We're not contributing towards them getting their own facility. And yet they've seen something of the kingdom of God take place. And they want to partner with what God is doing. And they want to partner in relationship with a group of people here. Many of you that they don't know and you don't know them. And yet the first amount has already hit our account. And I want to say that that is irrational. 
if we were to process that in our own personal lives, and, and there's going to be this legacy September coming up, and this, this call to give over and beyond, and many of you are, are just struggling to put food on your own table, or you're trusting for your own home, you're trusting for your own asset, you're trusting for whatever, and is there something of the kingdom of God where we're able to be beyond ourselves as the irrationality of a church plant in Pretoria is doing? I'm not talking about finances today. What I want to talk about is just, uh, I've, I've entitled my message, It Feels Like Heaven, because I have been captivated by two scriptures in the past two weeks. And so I'm going to be talking about two kings. One king who is commended in the scriptures and one king who isn't. And all of us have a choice that we make as we walk out our journeys with Christ, as we walk out our discipleship journey, every day we get to choose what we're going to be. And so the first scripture is this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 15, um, in the build-up to it, Solomon becomes the king of God's people. And God asks Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon says, I, I desire wisdom because these people of yours are too great for me. They're your people. Give me wisdom to lead them in that. And, and God then says, because you asked for that, I'm also going to give you a whole lot of other stuff. And we pick it up in verse 15, and it says this, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. Here we go. The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. And this thought has, the scripture has captivated me as I've, as I've gone, okay, so what Solomon had in his hands was this, these precious materials, silver and gold. And because of God's favor and abundance upon him, he did not take them all for himself, but he made them as common amongst all the people as stones had been. And I've just been captivated by this thought of what can we do to take the precious things of heaven and make them common amongst the people? Common not in the sense of degrading their value, but common in the sense of accessibility in everybody's hands. And then we read on a little bit, and Solomon dies, and uh, his life comes to an end, and then there's some other kings, and we pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 20, and we read about another king, and it says this, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and he passed away to no one's regret. And I've been sitting with this two passages. Solomon made silver and gold. He made precious things accessible to all people, to all of his people. And there was another king entrusted with leading God's people, and he died to no one's regret. I just thought, God, help us be the former. Help us be the former. Help us be those that, uh, that when we pass on people will miss us. When we pass on, the testimony would be they made accessible the things of heaven, the precious things of heaven to the people around us. 
that we felt a little bit like heaven, that every time people engaged with us, they came away saying, if they do not understand faith and Christianity in that context, their language may be something like, I feel different in your presence. There's some, I want to be with you. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it, but I, I feel encouraged. I feel inspired. I feel like I've, I've had a taste of something that my world is not. And for those that do have a faith context or do have language for it, they would say, I feel like I've been in the presence of our Savior and our Lord and friend, Jesus Christ. And so today I want to just help us with a couple of things, I think, as I I raise it, because we have this responsibility as Christians to to live today, to live on this earth, facing facing that which is imminent, facing that which is present and now, but we are also seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And so we have this partnership with Jesus, and so we're part of this coming kingdom, and we're part of what's now, and our responsibility as Christians as we walk with Jesus is to make the coming kingdom accessible today in our present circumstances. And so we have to, I I love, I I think it was um, um, C.S. Lewis who said, actually, a A healthy Christian is one who has the Bible in his one hand and a newspaper in the other. Uh, For those that are maybe a bit younger here, a newspaper is... is (laughs) Our responsibility is to, to live in the present, but knowing the accessibility, the precious gold and silver that we have access to with our Father in heaven. And so how do we... How do we do that? John said last week, in a world increasingly hostile to our faith, would we be increasingly loving? In a world which is increasingly hostile to our faith, would we be increasingly loving? How do we do that? I I don't know if if that sentence struck you, and, and if it did, I don't know if you took that home and processed. How can I be increasingly loving? How can I face those irrational people that aren't irrational for the kingdom of God. How, how can I face that? How can I process that? How can I be loving towards those people? How can I make a difference in this world? How can we move from the shallows of distraction and move into the depths of the clear water of the kingdom of God? Here's a, a quote Um, by John Stott, and I love it, and it says this, God longs to draw people to Himself. God seeks the lost, invites the stranger to come on home, but a primary means that He does so is by living in the midst of His own people in such a way that they attract others. We say that He, Jesus, is our Savior and our Lord and our friend. What difference does He make to those Christians the world is, is searching, asks searchingly? Where is their God, it may be said, without fear of contradiction, that the greatest, sorry, I read that very badly, the world asks searching, where is their God? It may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. I wonder if we could take a step forward today by the end of this message.
and say we want to increasingly reflect and show the power of a saving God. I know that that, that that statement is not true of every individual in this room, but we're also part of the church collective. And so we can't just say, well, it's not us, but it's them. We have to say, no, we take ownership of this as the family of God and say, actually, we want to be a people that just feels a little bit more like heaven than what people are experiencing today on earth. And so we're going to go a little bit on that journey as we look today in our moment, in our cultural moment. Are Christians providing an alternative to how people are behaving today? Are we echoing culture or are we providing an alternative? You see, here's, here's what's at stake. Um, when Christians lose their minds, people lose their faith. When Christians lose their minds, people lose their faith. And what we're seeing today is an increase in irrationality. What we're seeing today is Christians losing their minds. I am convinced as a pastor it's because we have forgotten some of the ways and patterns that Jesus has taught us, particularly that of Sabbathing, that of taking a day's rest. I'm not saying this to, to point fingers at us. I'm saying it as a pastor to shepherd us into, can we make better decisions? Can we follow the patterns of God? And then for those that do take a day of rest, this is what, science, this is what um, uh, social sciences would say. They've, they've done some tests, uh, well, they've done some research, and they would say that your social media engagement on a day of rest would double to two-thirds what it would normally be on an average day. And so what we're doing is there's many of us that aren't even taking a day. And then if you, do, if you do have the courage to take a day, what we're doing is we're distracting ourselves to mental illness. That very day that God has asked us to set aside so that we can, get, we can move from the Midlands into the depths of His kingdom and, and our soul being restored. Instead, we're moving from the Midlands into the shallows of distraction. And we're repeating that week after week, month after month, year after year. And it is not just people that don't know Jesus that are irrational anymore. It's the church. But there is good news in all of this. We don't have to be irrational. We can take steps towards health and wholeness and feeling a little bit more like heaven you see, Christians should be fueling the solution and not fueling the problem. And so what we're going to look at today is just five kind of things of our cultural moment. So, so what I'm going to do, I've got the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another. We're going to go through five things that we can ascertain that's happening in culture. We want to be present today. We don't want to be living in some ethereal planet on the clouds and be irrational. We want to be here today, but we also know that Jesus is present by His Spirit of God in us. And so as a people, we're able to keep pulling the kingdom of God down into our presence. And when people engage us, whether they know Jesus or don't know Jesus, they can encounter our Jesus. So what we're going to learn is this, five things. Number one, the current instability will continue. The current instability will continue. I think we have to settle as those that are believers in Jesus Christ 
that we cannot just keep waiting for a day when instability passes. And for those that think that instability only came because of COVID and then the riots and then the floods, we are sorely misguided. Instability has been happening for years. All COVID did was expose it. And we read in the scriptures that the days, what we've been going through the last couple of weeks that John's been so excellently revealing to us and teaching to us, teaching us, is that it is going to be more and more unstable in our terms, in our understanding. Going to be more and more unstable. And so we have to be able to, as Christians, find an alternative or a way of dealing with instability. We have to find that. Politically, economically, socially, culturally, normal has been dying for a long time. COVID just put the final nail in the coffin. There is no more normal. We have to settle that. We have to settle that. Just for those that are interested, uh, those that like reading, George Friedman's book, The Storm Before the Calm, is just great on this, talking about instability and so I'll just throw that out there for free. Um, Friedman says this, making sense of a lot of things that don't make sense. And he says, the world is increasingly unstable and will likely be that for a while. And so no one knows exactly what's going to happen and what to do. And so what is the solution for us? As believers, if we want to feel like heaven, as people engage us, what is our solution well, one of them is this, just that we would have a deeper sense of the mission of God. So our solution to instability is a deeper sense of the mission of God. See, when our world, when our, our view, when our minds, when our hearts, when our souls are around that thing which Jesus came to rescue, which is that, we would, that, that, that people would know the love of God, that people would know that there is forgiveness for sins in Jesus' blood, where people would be engaged with, with dignity, where there would be equality, where there would be those things. If those become the all-important things for us, if Jesus' mission becomes all-important, instability is just the environment in which it happens. Because today, instability is going to look like this. And if we adapt to instability around the, uh, 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 around the, the kind of practical markers of what instability is, then when instability looks like this, suddenly we're going to be all at sea again. And so our responsibility is to get to the deeper truths of human interaction and the deeper truths of love and dignity and hope. And when those things become our anchor points, it doesn't matter what circumstantial stuff is going on around us. It doesn't matter what politician says what. It doesn't matter what the Reserve Bank does with the interest rates. It doesn't matter. Or it matters less. It matters less. It doesn't shake us. Because my world is built on making sure that you know that I love you. That I'm expressing something of the dignity that is afforded to humanity because, because of our innate value, because we're created in the image of God. And yes, we have become fallen. Yes, we are fallen beings. We're born in the line of Adam, but Jesus redeems all that story. And so there is value within us. And I want to make sure that every interaction I have, whether you think differently from me or not, that it is based in love and dignity and grace and mercy. See, the church has always been about something that is bigger than itself. 
when the church, when the mission of Jesus Christ is not the center of who we are as a community, we start to feel a little bit more like the environment around us than a little bit more like heaven. And there is irrationality going on outside of these walls because sometimes the church has become as irrational in the negative sense, not the positive, as the people it's engaging with. Solomon made gold and silver common in his day, meaning connection, love, dignity. Those things are not common today amongst people. Those things aren't common. And so if we want to take from heaven, if we want to take something from the king, coming kingdom, we're able to take those things, and in every engagement, we're able to have connection, love, dignity, hope. And people start to say, hey, I don't know what that all is, but it's very different to the world that I'm currently living in and facing. So a deeper sense of mission. Number two, what are we seeing today? People will act more selfishly. It's prudent to prepare for a season where most adults are acting like teenagers. You know, teenagers that don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. If you don't know what that means, it means they're irrational. We blame it on hormones, but actually just the brain's not developed. And hormones. But what starts to happen when there has been this long season of... Uh, separation and division and, and a breaking of human interaction, it's, it's like the rationality center of our brains have just gone haywire. And so what we're seeing and what we're going to see for some time to come, and we have to make peace with it because it's not going to go back to normal, whatever normal was, is that adults are behaving like teenagers. They're making it about themselves. Maybe you can identify with some of that, where we've made things about ourselves. We, we all do that from time to time. And so this is what is going to, to happen as people make themselves, as people are more selfish. But this is, uh, this is what happens. We, we tend to want to point out people's selfishness. And so we want to tell you why you're wrong and why I'm right. Jesus, the, the way of Jesus was a little different because he said, um, confess your sins to me, not, not go and confess other people's sins to everybody else. You can see this kind of hits home a little bit. We, uh, we've got a little bit more comfortable in this day and age of separation and being apart from people and the comfort of social media and just being a little bit more free to express ourselves, we feel a little bit more comfortable to point out other people's sin, to confess other people's sin. I'm just going to help you understand why you're so bad. See, Jesus says, confess your own sin. And so if we want people to feel a little bit more like heaven when they've been with us, Maybe we can just change the roles a little bit in terms of what we're noticing 
Can we pull out the image of God in others as opposed to the sin in others? And can we also be a little bit more vulnerable with our imperfections than our perfections? See, distance and division have made people a whole lot ruder and a whole lot bolder. Because what distance does between people is it desensitizes us. You know, many of us probably felt free to say things about Donald Trump because he was on the other side of the world. And the likelihood of us bumping into him is zero. And so we may feel free to say things because we're desensitized by, dis- by distance. We're bolder, we're ruder. And suddenly the world and COVID gets separated from one another. And then we don't quite know if we want to come back together because I've actually I've said some things about some people, whether on the online space or via email or to my friends, and now I don't know if I want to see that person eye to eye. What I loved about Jesus, if we follow in his way and his kingship is this, that he went to every single town. He loved going into the town. He loved eyeballing people. He loved calling out the the dignity that they have and the value that they have. And he he loved seeing them because when we see people eye to eye, most of the time we're about 10 times more gentle than what we are when we are sending a message. And so if we want to feel a little bit more like heaven, why don't we try this? Why Why don't we sort out our disagreements over a cup of coffee rather than over email? Let's be a little different to people, the, 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 the world that aren't following Jesus. Let's see the whites of people's eyes. Let's hear the tone in their voice. Let them hear the tone in our voice. See, so the solution for us on point number two is this, that we need to close the distance between us and others. We need to close the distance, but that takes action and activity. And so one of the things that we uh, we, we need to do is, is actually take that practical step. If you could sort it out over a phone call, why don't you just deliberately go one step cl- further and say, hey, can I come around to your house or can we meet at a place that's convenient to you? Let, let's be people people. Let's be the incarnation of Jesus Christ who, who didn't just send us a message from heaven, but he came down to be with us. Let's be those people. Let's be a little different. Let's be a pocket of the kingdom of God here on earth in all of our activities and relationships. With distance is that we don't see the person that's bothering us as a person. We see them as a problem. And we need to close that distance so that we see them as a person again. And there's reasons why we all behave the way we do. And let's understand those reasons and let's move forward together. Number three, culture will remain deeply divided. It's no surprise that if we are increasingly selfish, we're going to be increasingly divided. And so culture is going to be increasingly divided. We have to learn how to handle that. We have to learn how to feel like heaven in the midst of deeply divided culture. It is not going to become undivided. It's not heading in that trajectory. And again, we read in the Scriptures, we're we're warned of this, we're told of this. And so to think otherwise would be foolish of us. 
And so our responsibility is to say, okay, the world is becoming increasingly divided. How do I behave? How do I feel like heaven in an increasingly divided world? How do I talk to people? How do I engage? We've got to learn some new skills. We've got to learn some new things. Gen Zs are turning on millennials. Gen Zs and millennials are turning on boomers. Boomers have long ago turned on millennials and Gen Zs. We are increasingly divided, friends. See, the culture needs an alternative to itself, not an echo of itself. The kingdom of God is supposed to be that, an alternative to itself, not an echo. How are we being an alternative? If we, can, if we were able to kind of like just come out of our minds for a second and watch our interactions as a third objective party, would we say of ourselves that we are an alternative or would we say we're just doing the same thing but just from the different point of view? The solution to a divided culture is a united church. And that means this, that we need to properly start real-life relationships. Real-life relationships. In this room, if you could stand where I'm standing now, you would see black, white, Indian, male, female, educated, uneducated, young, old. You would see economically wealthy, you would see economically poor, all sitting in this room, a few hundred of us. But I also know that in this room, we battle to open our homes to one another. We battle to have community together. I know that if you've been part of this church for any length of time, you kind of go, here's Richard beating on his drum again. If you can make it here for nine o'clock, you can make it here for quarter to nine to have coffee with someone. If you can leave at half past ten, you can leave at quarter to eleven and just have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you, that doesn't think like you. There is enough, there is enough difference of opinion and culture and upbringing and education and thought in this room that we can start to be those kind of people that can start to unite. There is enough natural division just in this room That we don't even have to say, hey, listen, the world is against us. Or the world, we, we don't have to because it's in this room. Our responsibility as the church, friends, is that what the, 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 the antidote to division is unity. And so how can we keep pulling towards each other? How can we know each other's stories? Like I look at Jesus again. Jesus has to be our model for a way of, of human flourishing in life. Jesus... Um, I wrote this, and I want to read it because I thought I wrote it quite well. If I can find it. Murphy's Law, I'm not going to find it. Jesus, Jesus was able to meet with both the righteous and the rebels. He was able to meet with the religious and the sinners. He met with women, he met with men, he met with crowds, he met with individuals. Jesus did it all. 
And so if we want to be those that feel a little bit more like heaven, can we be a little bit more at taking steps towards growing more comfortable and having conversations with people that are different from us, being putting ourselves into crowd moments, putting ourselves into individual moments, putting ourselves into the hands of sinners and putting ourselves into the hands of saints and putting ourselves into the hands of the sick and putting ourselves into the hands of uh, the healthy and putting ourselves into the hands of the poor and putting ourselves into the hands of the rich. Can we start to grow a diversity of our thinking? Because as we grow in our diversity of relationships, so we're able to unite together because we realize actually our viewpoint is not the only viewpoint. And so we start to actually, if, once that, I, I, it can take a little bit of time before the edge is knocked off of us. But once the edge is knocked off of us, we actually start to appreciate the different cultural expressions and the, and the different thinking. We get to appreciate that my life is so much richer because of the relationships that I have of people that think differently to me. That eat differently to me. It is so much richer. I love new experiences. Can we move towards that even as our master, even as our Lord was quite comfortable in multiple relationships and settings? A divided culture needs a united church. Number four. The moral, theological, and philosophical questions will become more intense and important. Now, I'm fully aware that's a big sentence, and some of you have already gone like, oh, sheesh, that's quite intellectual. I think that's one of the problems in our, in our Christianity today, is we don't like to deal with the heavy, weighty stuff of the kingdom of God and what God truly thinks about life. And we don't like to wrestle with these things that, uh, that affect us and conflict and cause conflict within us. But actually our responsibility is those that follow Jesus. Jesus. Jesus went straight after his disciples' hearts and they were conflicted. He put Jewish zealots in, in the same uh, relationship with, uh, with Jewish... Um, what was Matthew? He turned. Uh, tax collector, yeah, but what did he... He sold out Judaism. He sold out his own nation. Like Jesus, he, he confronts us with these things. And so we're going to have to get a grasp on these deeply, uh, deeply moral and theological and philosophical questions. We can't just kind of say, no, 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 that's, that's for the pastors to deal with and that's for... No, if we want to be involved in being a little bit like heaven, we've got to carry what the kingdom of God looks like. And the kingdom of God is actually ruled by a king who has thoughts and opinions and a way. And he has a righteousness and a holiness. And so our responsibility is to find out what that is and then graciously be able to present that so that when people engage us and have different thoughts to us, we're not just sticking our head in the sand and saying, we don't know how to answer you, or sure, sure, you think what you think, I think what I think. No, we want to lead people to life in Christ. And it is becoming increasingly more intense and therefore increasingly more important. We live in an era of very weakly formed and strongly held opinions. You've heard that from this pulpit before. Many of us in this room, we've got strongly held opinions that are very weakly formed. Our responsibility is not just the newspaper in hand. The newspaper in hand informs the culture around us. 
the Bible in our hands informs how we respond to that. It's Jesus and His Word that helps us. And so a solution in this time of, uh, of living where there's an intensity and importance is that we would focus on the timeless truths more than we would on the temporary viewpoints. I love... Uh, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Focus on timeless truths more than the temporary viewpoints. See, viewpoints change. In every generation, and every season, viewpoints change. But they are timely truths to the kingdom of God. And we want to we feel like heaven. Voices that endured in the last century. If you were to think of who has shaped culture, it's the deep thinkers like Martin Luther King, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, not the Taylor Swifts and Justin Bieber's. Friends, I think we go too quick to express our opinions without forming that deep within the, within the truth of what the kingdom of God is like and who Jesus is like. And therefore, as the church, we're becoming a place where we are as irrational as the world outside of the church. And we wonder why those that don't know Jesus don't want to dip their toes into the church. And we wonder why some even in the church don't want to be part of the church. There's a call to a higher, there's a higher calling, friends. There's a higher responsibility to delve into the deep waters of the kingdom of God. We have a responsibility to carry that, and it's not just the pastors who have a responsibility to do it. I love this from, um, from actually the same podcast that John mentioned earlier, uh, where Kerry Newhoff is interviewing uh, Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote, who authored the message uh, translation of the Bible. Uh, he, he says this, your input should always exceed your output. So what he's saying is, your study of Scripture should always exceed your output of Scripture. Your study of culture should always exceed your output of culture. Unfortunately, today, people are very free to express. They're putting very little in, and they're putting a lot out. If you identify with it, again, it's not a, this is not a criticism. I'm just trying to help us as a pastor, as a shepherd. I'm trying to help us to just order our lives that we can feel a little bit more like heaven. Are we putting more into ourselves than we are giving to others? And then he also says this, your private walks, walk needs to be far deeper than your public talk. What we're seeing today is Christians are saying a lot of stuff, but their private walk is not matching up. Again, if you identify with that, I, I, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help us. We can make some adjustments that we can feel a little bit more like heaven. Number five, and lastly, deep Christianity will be up to the challenge, but shallow Christianity won't. In this cultural age that we're living in, the next decade that we have to face and be those that would advance the gospel that feel a little bit like heaven, deep Christianity will be up to the challenge. Shallow Christianity won't. See, the, the reality is 
most Christians are equipped for a world that no longer exists. And we have a choice to make. And Jesus would say, would you continue to follow me? Because I'm walking into the new season. Jesus is not irrelevant to the present day season. But much of Christianity seems to be irrelevant to the present day season. And Jesus would say, come church, come with me. Come and learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. Come and learn. Come and learn. Come and be a part of the solution, not adding fuel to the fire, but fueling the solution. Come and learn. Are we prepared to be on that journey with him? See, the key for Christians who will thrive will be those that develop a deeper, more robust emotional, intellectual, and spiritual life. How are we investing into that for ourselves? And so here's the solution. We need to pursue both imminence and transcendence. I know those are big words. I'm going to make them simple for us. Imminence is, is that which is immediate, that which is here, that which is present. And so when we only deal with the imminent, we're making decisions in a very confined box. We're making decisions about here and now. But our God is transcendent. Our God is above all. Our God knows the end from the beginning. And so I wonder if we would stop long enough to think, we may not know the end from the beginning, but we know one that does. How would a transcendent God view the imminent situation? How would one who knows all things, how would one who is all-powerful, how would one who is all-providing, how is one who is all-loving, how is one who has died for the sins of all humanity for those that would take hold of the blood of Jesus Christ, how would, how would one who sits there, if I were to partner with him, how would he view this imminent situation? And would his decision be different from mine? And so if we can just stop and pause long enough to go, okay, this is, this is my imminent situation. This is what I'm seeing. But it's quite shallow because I am one human in a, in a localized context. And if I can just stop long enough and start to ask community, because it says in the Scriptures, it says um, wisdom is found in the counsel of the godly. And so if we could just ask for counsel. How many of us are making poor financial decisions because we're not asking for counsel? Or have made poor financial decisions because you're not asking for counsel. Or relationship decisions, etc., etc. And then if we could just take a step back from that and say, actually, I know one who knows from the end from the beginning. I know the transcendent God. I know the one that there is a coming kingdom. And so how is this decision here localized in this time and space here on earth? How does this relate to a coming kingdom? An eternity, how does it relate? And so we sit today and we want to feel a bit more like heaven, but so many of us are consumed by the imminent, not the imminent and the transcendent. And the call by Jesus is to follow Him who is God and became man for us. And by His Spirit, we now have access to all which is heavenly. We have access to the Father, free access to the Father. Are we living in that free access, friends? Jesus died not just that we could be forgiven, but that we could have relationship with a transcendent God. That is good news. But too many of us aren't living with that free access. We're not, we're not taking hold of that free access. 
It's like having free Ushaka passes for your whole family. I've got nine. It's very expensive when I go to Ushaka. When you get given free, free access to Ushaka, and then one day you think, oh, let me take up that free access, and it's expired. You're done. I missed it. How much more our God in heaven? Okay, silly example. How much more our God in heaven? We've got free access to the God who knows all things that can help us in these moments. We need to pursue both imminence and transcendence. As I close out, Solomon made gold and silver common in his day. Jehoram died to no one's regret. I really don't want that to be my testimony, and I don't want that to be your testimony. I want to be one that makes gold and silver, the precious things of the kingdom of God, freely available and accessible because Jesus has made it freely and accessible to me. I want people to know the profound and deep truths of a coming kingdom where there is true life. I want people to know that it can be well with your soul in the midst of irrational goings-on and divisive cultures and selfish cultures. It can be well with your soul. And when people ask the question, how do you have this hope? Well, because I live with my Jesus. And that's the invitation for each one of us today. You can feel a bit more like heaven. You can feel a bit more like heaven. Let it be so.